0: Well, good morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This morning, um, just to caveat there what Brother Bill said uh, about the chaplaincy, it has been my privilege to be a part of the chaplaincy in the military for many years. And then when I left the chaplaincy to be able to be a recruiter and then eventually the uh, endorser for a chaplaincy, uh, endorsing agency, uh, foundations, Baptist Fellowship International, and I've been doing that now for the past about 10 years now. I've been on this campus many times, recruiting and being at the <coughs> missions uh, conferences and of, of like. Um, I oh, it's a, always a thrill to be here. I, I would just put a plug in from the standpoint of the chaplaincy, as as Dr. Bill mentioned. You know, from the standpoint of the military, and as well as I said to the missions prayer band last night. It is truly a a harvest field that is plenteous and ready into and harvest. <clears throat> you know, when you think of the military, think of this: there's over two million folks that make up the military, <clears throat> literally around the globe. And to be a chaplain for them is to to literally be a mission a missionary to that field. And so, as you're preparing for. Uh, the ministry, many of you young men in here, I would just say, may that be one of your considerations to say, hey, Lord, would you consider me to be a chaplain in the military? <clears throat> or those of you who may be going out to starting a church somewhere and you're looking at a church plant and how to get started in that local community, I will tell you this, that there are probably police departments and fire departments and hospitals and all kinds of different organizations right outside where you're starting that church, and I will tell you that many of those departments are also looking for chaplains to be a part of those agencies. What better way to get started in your community to than to start, a, you know, get get involved with those emergency medical services folks and and to be able to minister to them and see them saved. And what a great way to start a church in a community. Amen. <clears throat> So it's just another option. Ladies, you say, well, I can't be a chaplain. I'm not ordained. But I I tell the ladies, I say, look, you know, some of you ladies have are are studying with counseling. And I ask the question, what are you going to do with those counseling degrees and things that you may be using alongside of that husband, pastor or whatever you may be in the future? And I look at that and I say, hey, look. You know, are there domestic abuse centers in your community? Are there pregnancy crisis centers? Are there jails? The answer is yes. Ladies, are there, are there female p- parts of the jails that guys can't get into? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, question, who's reaching them with the gospel? Who's, who's getting into those agencies to help? And I say, ladies, you have a gift that God has given you to maybe pull from that local church to get involved in those things. And we actually endorse ladies to help them. People say, I don't even know where to get started when it comes to this chaplaincy piece. I say, I know the answer to that. Come see me. I can tell you how to get started. It's, it's an easy process. It is a process with the military. When it comes to your degrees, your education, your ministerial experience, we don't, we don't, waver anything we don't pull any punches we want to make sure that when our guys are going out there that they are completely ready we don't set them up for failure we set them up for success so that when they get out there they can be the minister that god wants them to be i am here as a military chaplain because of a military chaplain who came into a church in alabama years ago and just simply preached the word of god and i will tell you in the military I had not seen chaplains ever do such a thing. And it shocked me. It stunned me that I saw a, pastor, or a, or a chaplain who preached the word of God. And it was because of that, that and God working in my heart that I later would end up becoming a chaplain myself And 25 years later. And now I'm hopefully trying to do the same thing because I want folks to know that chaplains are preachers at heart and they preach the word of God. And they want to see souls saved. And they want to see lives changed. And, we, and, and I just wanted to be an example of that. And that's what we're going to use for our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Would you join me there? 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to begin in verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in impurity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Look at verse 12, one more time. But he says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers. You know, it's a tremendous blessing to be here. This place holds a a very special fondness for me. And it's not just because I have a daughter here or I've had other children here, even though that is true. But it's, I, I actually, it, I have that great fondness because of the founder of this institution. And it was because of that founder who was obedient to the word of God, who came to a place called Nuremberg, Germany in 1986. Him and a guy by the name of Larry Brubaker. And years ago, Ron Comfort came to Nuremberg, Germany and did a revival meeting. And a young sergeant in my unit invited me out to this revival meeting. I really didn't have any interest in wanting to go. I'd been churched many many years of my life. I told uh, the class that this morning, but I really didn't have a great desire to go. But there was this tugging in my heart. And I said, you know what, I'll go. I called my wife and I said, honey, we're going to go to a revival meeting tonight. It was dead silence on the other end of the phone. I think she fainted. But We went to that revival meeting. And that, I always say it this way. I always describe him as that that small guy who preached the fire out of the Bible that night. Did you get saved? No, I got mad. And I almost walked out of the service. And, but, and I told my wife, I said, we'll never go back to that church again. That guy, he was preaching right at me. Somebody told him I was coming. And he was preaching right at me. And it made me mad. But I will tell you this, that night I couldn't sleep and the Holy Spirit was working. I know it now, what it was. I thought it was indigestion, but it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was working greatly in my life. And the next day I told my wife, I said, uh, we're going back to that church tonight because he kept saying something that sparked my attention about this whole thing of knowing Christ as my Savior. And even though I'd been churched all my life, I didn't have that issue completely settled. I remember going back to that service, and I don't remember what he preached on. I could care less. The only thing I wanted him to do was get to the invitation. And when he got to that point, I shot forward, and I told him, I said, look, you said something last night that just really concerned me. And he had a guy by the name of Phil Tucker take the Bible show me how to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And right there in Nuremberg, Germany, in July of 1986, I accepted Christ. A year later, my wife accepted the Lord and I will tell you that it changed our lives dramatically to what it is by the grace of God today. And I will tell you this, that after getting saved, I stayed on active duty for a few more years. And eventually I would get off of active duty and go to seminary. I really felt that the Lord was calling me into the ministry and so I got off active duty and went to seminary and and in doing so, really seeking full-time ministry. I got to tell you, I, I thought, I told Mission's Prayer Band this last night, I thought I would never put my uniform on ever again. But God had a different plan. And because of that different plan, I would later end up going into the chaplaincy and by the grace of God was able to serve in the military for 25 years as a chaplain, added to the seven years that I had done previously. And I praise the Lord for it. I I still, I still bleed green, like my wife says, from that standpoint. I love the military. But I will tell you this, as a young lieutenant, <clears throat> and eventually, even as a captain, and th- really through all the ranks, it was drilled into us as an army officer. <clears throat> How do you lead? Very simple. You lead by example. That was the mantra that everybody lived by. You just simply Live by example. So what did that mean? Well, that meant that I wore my uniform a very specific way. I made sure it was pressed and ironed. I made sure that my uniform was taken care of. When it came to the aspect of not only just um, uh, how my uniform looked, how I displayed my military bearing. It was why for all these years that I ran and stayed fit from the standpoint of of being healthy, to be able to to minister to the soldiers, sailors, marines that the Lord placed in my hands. People ask me, why in the world would you ever jump out of a perfectly good airplane in mid-flight? Because my soldiers did. Simple. I wanted to be able to lead by example. And when those soldiers saw that I was the real deal, and let me just tell you something about soldiers. They're smart. They're not as sometimes the the dumb lugs and the rocks that we think they are. They're, They're smart. And I can tell you that some of those guys, they know the real deal. They could look at those chaplains and say, you're the real McCoy, or you're a fraud, or you're a fake. I saw my dealings of chaplains who were frauds and fakes. The ones who, who smoked and drank and who had potty mouths and ran around with the girls and all these things. And, and all of a sudden this thought came to my mind. Why would I ever want to go to a chaplain who lives just the same way that I lived before I was saved, right? There was this aspect of leading by example. You know, I got to tell you so much of what the military does. When it comes to policy and procedure, they don't realize it. But a lot of their policy and procedure comes right out of this book. Don't tell them that, okay? But even this aspect of leading by example, it comes right out of this book. This morning, I want to do something very different with you. We're going to, uh, hopefully, you, if, if I could, ask you to do me two things. Many of you, I see that you already have pencil and paper in your hands. But if you don't have a pencil and paper in your hands, I'd like for you to have one. So that you're able to hear in a moment, we're going to take a test. We're all going to be students for a moment. Oh, that's right. You already are. So (laughs) we're going to be students. And at the end of this message, we're actually, we're going to take a test. Okay? You're like, really, Brother Willis? Yeah, we're going to take a test. But it's okay. It's an open book test. You already got the book right in front of you. But we are going to do this. We're going to actually take a test, and we're going to grade it because I want us to see something here from this passage that helps us to ask this question. Bottom line up front, like I do in the military, guys. Bottom line up front, are we leading by example? Are we leading by example? Well, let's pray before we get into this passage. Lord, we thank you so very much for this time. And I just pray, Lord, that, Lord God, you would just use me as a mouthpiece. That's all I want is just for your Holy Spirit to flow through me, to use me as a mouthpiece. I pray that you would touch the hearts, not just the heads, not just the ears, but the hearts of those who are listening here today and help us all, Lord. I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to just ask this question, Lord, how are we doing at being the example? And at the end, Lord, we'll give you all the honor, the praise, the praise, and the glory that is due unto your name and your name only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse 12, <clears throat> Paul, under inspirational Holy Spirit, as he writes to this young man, by, to Timothy, he, says, he starts off by saying something like this, let no man despise thy youth. Now I know that some of you are not too far from youth groups. You know, you're, you know from that standpoint, but when Paul uses the word youth, you have to ask yourself, who's he speaking to? Well, you have to realize something here. Timothy, at the time that Paul is writing to him, is probably in his 30s or 40s. But he's still referring to him as how? As a youth. Well, from Paul's perspective, he is. And even from as a young presbyter or a young pastor of this church, Paul still refers to him as a youth. And I say, praise the Lord. That's great. But here, let me just help us all with something here, because as I look around this crowd, I see some of us who are a little further from that youth group, okay, in our age. And I would just want to make sure that we understand something. Don't close your ears. Don't just put off what's being said here from that standpoint, because if it's true for the youth, it's also true for all of us of any age. Amen? We all, should be asking ourselves this question that is going to be posed, that this, this comment that's going to be made here. So when Paul says that no man despise thy youth, in reality, that applies to all of us. And then what's he say? He says, be thou an example of the believer. Be thou an example Of the believer. And can I, without being blasphemous, say it this way? And also to the unbeliever. If we're going to be an example to the believers, then we also need to make sure that we're being an example to the unbeliever as well. That just seems to fit. Amen? So, in doing so, we have to ask the question then what does it mean to be an example? Well, if you were to look up the word example in the dictionary, you would probably find something like this It's a person or a way of behaving that is seen as a model that should be followed. Therefore, we would use the term maybe role model. That's okay, right? But actually, this word in the Greek, example, literally has the idea of meaning an exact copy. So when he says, I want you to be an example, I want you to be an exact copy. Well, doesn't that beg a question then? An exact copy of what? Or maybe better yet, an exact copy of who? God is instructing Timothy, as well as the rest of us as uh, as believers, to be this example. He's instructing him and us to be the proper example to the believers, to the church, and to anybody else who sees us. To be a good representative, a representative of Jesus Christ. You know, I think about it this way. We as the church are the body and Jesus Christ is the head. Every one of us are to emulate the head. That's why the Bible makes it very clear, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, that we are all to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that conforming process is us being an example, being the exact copy of Jesus. Do you follow so far? So we see the mandate. We're all to be an example in this capacity. Do you know, whether you like it or not, do you realize that every single one of us are on display every day of our lives? Whether you like it or not, it's just a reality Someone is always watching us. Our coworkers may be watching us. Other students may be watching us. Our families watching us, other neighbors, fill in the blank. There's somebody that's always watching us whether we like it or not on a daily basis. The world in which we live in. It has all kinds of role models, does it not? Musicians, athletes, politicians, they all try to be the role models for other people in the world. But I got to tell you, I'm not real fond of wanting to follow any of those folks as a role model. Unless they're living a godly life for Jesus Christ, I want to have nothing to do with that. And we all would understand that. But for the most part, these these individuals are not providing that godly role model. So it, it begs a question. Where would you expect to find the godliest role models or examples for Jesus Christ? Where would you expect to find them? In the church, right? Or even in a Christian college? Could I be so bold to say that? That's where you would expect to find them. So then it begs this other question. Are we finding that kind of an example in our churches and in our Christian colleges today? Hmm. How are we doing on being the example that God's called us to be? And and some people may say something like this. Why is that so important? Why, Why is something like providing an example like that so important? I'll tell you why. Regardless of the role that you fill, we who believe in Christ are providing an example of what it means, ready, to be a Christian. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 2, Paul tells the church of Corinth, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Translation. In other words, you may be the only example that some people see of what a true Christian is supposed to look like. True or false? Let me say that again. You may be the only example of what some people see of what a true Christian should look like. I didn't believe that necessarily. Until all of a sudden, in the military, I found myself that for the last 10 years of my uh, career, I find myself working a lot in the Middle East. And in, in working with the, uh, the militaries from the Middle East, if you know anything about that with all of the republics of Islam and everything else that I worked with, those, it's, it's not easy, many times it's illegal to, be, to bring up anything, any conversations about Christ. And therefore, to have an open conversation sometimes about Christ, I couldn't have it. But I thought, if I cannot have that conversation, then what can I at least do? Answer, I can be the example of what Christ should be. I remember years ago when I was teaching in the Islamic University of Jordan. And I had this whole group of young imams sitting in front of me. And we taught this boring class. I don't even remember what the class was about. And I taught this class. And at the end of the class, I opened it up and I said, hey, we're going to have a, a, a question and answer time. And we, I remember that there was this young imam who was sitting there. Scared me to death. The, the guy, um, he had these knots on his head. I guess it's where he's bowing all the time. He had these knots on his head from bowing so many times, and, and it, he had one on each side, and them almost looked like horns were protruding. Therefore, it scared me to death. And this guy's asking this question, and he says, "Chaplain Willis," and he's in his broken English. You know, we believe that Christians are, and he began to eloquently tell me what he thought Christians were. <laughs> and I, about halfway through the conversation, I stopped this young man. And I said. What are you talking about? Where in the world did you ever get that view of Christianity? You know what he told me? American television. And I stopped him and I went, oh, no, no, no. That is the furthest example of what Christianity is to be. And I said, I'm sorry, but that has nothing, looks nothing what true Christianity is about. I remember spending time with those guys. And at the end of our training sessions, it was not uncommon for some of those guys to walk up and ask this question. Here it is. Why are you different? Why do you not speak the way that some of these others? Why do you not do? You know what they were seeing? The epistle that was written on my heart to where I was able to be the example. I'm not patting myself on the back by any means. I'm just saying people see who you are. And you are presenting an example. Question, what are, what's the copy that you're presenting? That's a serious question. At this point, you would have to say that's a daunting task. And you would also maybe have to say this, what's at stake? So that's a truthful question, right? What's at stake with us providing that type of answer? I'll tell you what's at stake. The souls of men are at stake. The souls of men are at stake even in how we are presenting the example of Jesus Christ because you may be the only example they ever see of what true Christianity looks like. True or false? That's the reality of this mandate that Paul gives to this young man. Be thou an example. And he tells us, you know, say, you know, so how do I, how can I be the example then that God wants me to be? Well, I'm so glad you asked the question. Because Paul tells us in his writing how we're to be the example. And he's going to give us six categories here in the next second or so. He's going to give us these six categories to consider how we are being the example. Okay, here we are. Time for the test. Ready? I want you to do this. As we go through these six categories, I want us at the end of each category to give ourselves a grade of how you think that you are being as an example in one of these areas. And we're going to use the standard grading scheme, A, B, C, D, E, F. There is no E. Why is there no E? I could never figure that out but we're going to use the standard grading scale, okay? With each one of these category. And I want you to do this silently, even maybe right now. I'd like for you to do something. Would you be willing just to pray and say, God, would you search my heart and really try me to show me where I'm really at? Not by my viewpoint but God, by your viewpoint of how I am being the example in these areas. Would you do that? Because I think that'll give you a better representation of where you're at if you'd ask that question. So let's start. Ready? Be thou an example. First of all, he says in word. This is the Greek word for logos. If you work up the, look up the word logos, it can be of either two things. It can be a formal word for logos, which is the word of God. Or it can also be a generic term, which is just simply the words in which we speak, the words which come out of our mouth. So it can be either or. But in this case here, as we see, it's the generic sense. It's the words that come out of our mouth. Paul says, be thou an example even in the words that we speak. So again, so let me ask you a question. How are we doing? When it comes to the words that we speak, do we speak the truth? Do people know us as a people that speaks the truth? And in some cases, look here, this truth. Hey, when they hear us and they see us, do we speak scripture? Do we speak the things of God? Maybe you use terms like amen. Praise the Lord. Can I tell you that even something as simple as those little words can tell people to say, hey, there's something different about it. I'm not saying you do it for show or you do it just to gain attention. But all of a sudden, your life becomes to the thing to where you actually are speaking godly words. And people go, that guy's different. Or when the words that we speak, maybe we speak other words, such as the words that we speak, are they encouraging words? Are we known for in speaking encouraging words? Uplifting words or hurtful words. Negativity, sarcasm. Are we known for our speaking insinuations? Are we known for our crudeness? Are we known for maybe slang words that come out of our mouth? Oh, we don't say the real bad word, but we'll say a slang word. Instance, I used to have I used to use the word gosh a lot. Oh, my. And I'd feel gosh, you know, things that I used to say that all the time. And and I didn't even think a thing about it until one time a guy walked up to me and he said this. Do you realize that the word gosh is nothing other than a synonym for the word God? Now, whether you want to hold to that truth, I'm just telling you, that's what he said to me. And it caused me to stop and think. And he asked me this question, are you comfortable with taking God's name in vain, even in slang? Well, how would you answer that? Well, of course I'm not. Then maybe we even need to be careful of the slang words that we use, amen? You know, I, I had a terrible potty mouth when I first got saved. I had a very crude mouth. But I remember after I got saved <clears throat> that I went to work a couple of days later and I remember I said some foul word and it was almost as if somebody pecked me on the shoulder. There was nobody there. And all of a sudden, I remember it was just like this small, still voice that said, my children don't speak that way. And I got to tell you, the Lord just no, no preacher had to tell me, clean up your mouth. The Holy Spirit inside of me said, clean up your mouth. And by doing so, I said, Amen. And it changed the way in which I began to speak. So whether in public or in private, I got to hurry up. But here's the thing. When we speak, do people hear more of the world in us or more of Christ in us? Or another way to say it was people listen to what we say in our words. Do we provide an example of how Christ speaks? Give yourself a grade, would you? A, B, C, D. Give yourself a grade, would you? Write it down. Write it down right there. How would you rate yourself? But then secondly, he says this, not only just in word, but he said in conversation. This is the word anastrophe in the Greek. It literally means the old English word for lifestyle. This is which uh, that which is our lifestyle or our behavior. This is the things we do. This is the places we go. This is the things that we watch. This is the things that we listen to. That, that's, that's what's encompassed in this word. Our habits, our hobbies, and even those things which we do when no one else is around that dictates your lifestyle. Ready? When, people, when the people around us watch how we live, do people see more of the world in us Or do people see more of our heavenly father in us? By the way, this is where the word hypocrite comes from. I I remember several times where I would talk to one, one of the soldiers or sailors about their soul. And I'm sitting across the table from him and halfway through the conversation of the gospel about talking about Christianity, they get this little smirk on their face. And all of a sudden they say something like this. Well, chaplain, let me tell you about my uncle Bob. My uncle Bob, he professed to know Christ as his savior. He was a deacon in his church. And in between services, he was out back smoking. And you know, every, every weekend he was drunk as a skunk. When he wasn't in church, man, he had a, he had a mouth like a sailor. No, no harm to sailors, sorry. But he had a horrible mouth. He watched all kinds of stuff. And, and, and if that's what Christianity is, Chaplain, I don't want to have any part of that. I'm sure that some of us may have Uncle Bobs in our life, right? Can I help you something? Don't you be the Uncle Bob or Aunt Bob. <laughs> don't you be that hypocrite. When people look at you, they should see what Christianity, real Christianity looks like. Give yourself a grade, would you? How am I doing when it comes to the aspect of my lifestyle? Is there enough in my life to where that people, they watch what we do and our actions and we provide an example of how Christ lives? Would you give yourself a grade? In charity, the third one here, I'm gonna move on. This is the word agape. This is that sacrificial love that only Christ can give us and say this, listen, and display through us. You get it? It's only a love that Christ can display through us through the Holy Spirit. This could be simple, simplified in how do we treat others, in our actions, in our responses, in our motives. Do people see the love of Christ in us? How do we care for others or lack thereof? I think of the good Samaritan. Everybody else who had walked past this individual who was, who was hurting and here's the one who showed the love of Christ at least to go back to help to heal, to provide, to take care of this individual, showing what the true love of Christ really all looked like. Do people see the love of Christ in us? Is that an example that we're providing? When people are around us and make contact with us, do people see the world's version of love, which is, can I tell you, it's always taking? Or do they see Christ's version of love, which is always giving? What do they see in your life? Give yourself a grade, would you? In faith. This is the same word, "pistos," which is also translated trust, believe, receive, and other places in the Bible. This is, this is how we would respond to things. Can I say it this way? We respond to things of li- uh, in our lives by faith. And by the way, do you realize that people can actually see our faith and how we respond to things? Did you know that? Think about that for a second. So whether it's in times of feasting or when things are all great, and how we respond to the things of God? Or how about the times when things are not so great? Maybe when there's trials. Maybe when there's famine, when things are not so well. Death, sorrow. So in times of joy or in times of storms or in times of trials, when people are around us and see us going through this thing called life, do people see more of how the world responds To tragedy? How does the world respond to tragedy and trials? Despair, gloom, depression. But is that how we respond? Trials will come into our lives, right? But let me tell you, when those trials come into your life, you remember this. People are watching how you are responding even to those trials. Are you going to truly be a man or woman of faith even through the trials? People see that. Are you being the example? Give yourself a grade, would you? Write it down. Do people see my faith in action? Spirit, this is the word pneuma. If I could say what Numa has to do with this aspect of example, it would simply be this. Who's in control of your life? In your actions and your reactions. Are you a peaceful person? Are you a hothead? Are you sweet spirited or mean? In your attitudes, are you gracious, snobby, proud? In your life. Do you follow your flesh or do you follow the spirit? See, who is in control of your life? And by the way, when people watch, they will begin to see whether or not who's in real control of your life. And by the way, just get you upset or get you excited about something and we'll really see. You know, the thing about sports, I love sports. Anybody here like sports? I love sports. Sports do not build the character of men. Sports reveals the character of men. Start losing a game. Start watching your favorite team get crushed. All of a sudden, the real you comes out. Get you out on a basketball field or a court. Basketball field. Get you out on a court somewhere. I know my sports. I really do. Get you out there. Catch an elbow to the side of the head once or twice. We'll see the real you come out. Amen? And people are watching. Who's in real control of you? In spirit, when people are around us, do they sense the spirit of God in us or your own flesh in you? People are watching how we respond, our attitude, our actions, our reactions. We provide an example what the spirit of Christ looks like. Amen? Give yourself a grade. Last one. This is the one purity. In the Greek, this is hagnia, or it's also translated the word holiness. You know, the sad thing is we don't hear a lot of powerful and stern preaching on this anymore. Across our churches, we've lost sometimes, I think, the emphasis of purity and holiness. But I got to tell you, God's never lost that emphasis. The truth of the matter is we are in this world, are we not? But the question is, are we in the world or are we of the world? See, that's what this idea of purity is all about. See, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. God says, come out from among them, be separate, be holy, be pure, be different on purpose. See, do we live just the way the world lives or do we live in this world but yet attempt to live separated from it? You cannot be separated from the world until, first of all, you are separated unto God. I get into all these discussions with people about separation and this whole thing about even fundamentalism, catching such a a bad name and a bad rap over all the years of all this thing called legalism and about all this list of don'ts and, and things, the do's and don'ts that we're supposed to do. And I said, stop, stop. It's not about this aspect of separating from these things, but I just want to put it in the right context because here's the right context. If I am separated wholly unto God, I have no problem to be separated from the things of this world. The case closed. Because the closer that I draw to God, by nature, the further I get away from the things of this world. Amen? How about you? Is that the example that you are providing to those people who see you? That you are living a pure life, a separated life for the cause of Christ. Give yourself a grade. Now, here's what I want us to do. In the closing moments, here's what I want us to do. Look at that sheet now that you just did. And it should be filled with A's, B's, C's, D's, and so on, right? True or false? Average them together. Look at it and ask yourself this question. What's the average of those? What's my GPA? If I was to look down across that list that you've just provided and see what you have just said about yourself, where would you say that you're really at as far as an example? We're all family here, right? Can I be a part of your family for a day? We're family here, right? So you don't have a problem with being open as a family then, right? True or false? Let's just be a little open and transparent, can we? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Honesty. How many of you, when you look at your GPA, you would say, Brother Willis, I look down this list, and as I look at this list, I see that my GPA is somewhere between an A and B. Would you raise your hand? Raise them high like you're proud of it, would you? Real high. Come on, some of you, some of you are from Minnesota. You know why people in Minnesota only raise their hand this far? They're afraid if I raise it any higher, it'll freeze stuck. (laughs) So raise it high A or B. Like you're proud of. There you go, good. How many of you would be honest enough to say it's a D or below? Raise it high. Thank you for your honesty. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your honesty. How many of you would say it's a C? Would you raise your hand? Raise them high. When I preach this message, <clears throat> that is the norm of what I see. And I say, amen. But I also have one more thing to say about that. Would you do me a favor? One last moment here. Would you turn to Revelation chapter 3 for just a moment? Revelation chapter 3. I want to read just a couple of verses here that the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is writing to the church of Laodicea. And I want you to see something, what he says. Verse 14. Revelation 3. 14, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning, the creator of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wast cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I would spew you out of my mouth. Can I say something a little differently let me rephrase that statement and see if it resonates with us this morning. To the church of whoever I write, I would that you were the either an A or an F. You get it? But because thou art a C. Did you get it? God says, I would just as soon spew you out of my mouth. Can I help you with something? Mediocracy is not okay with God. And it shouldn't be okay with us either. It should make us immediately come to the realization and say, God, I don't want to be an average Christian. I want to be on fire for you this day. I want that when people see me, I am the makings of the exact copy of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And whether you're there or whether you're striving to be there, that should be the goal. So I'm not getting on you for being a C because I'm probably exactly the same, but I know this. I've got to come to God and say, God, I know that that's not okay with you. And because it's not okay, I really need to come to you and do two things. I need to come to you and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for sometimes thinking that mediocrity is okay. Because it's not. It's what you said in your word. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me for that. And I'm also asking you, as well as anybody else who had a letter of C or below, to say, God, I don't want to be that anymore. And I want you to give me the power to change the things in my life that need to be changed, whether it be my words, or whether it be my lifestyle, or my spirit, or my love, or my purity, whatever it is, Lord, give me the strength to make those changes in my life this day so that I can be a better example for you. Are you willing to do that today? To say, God, that's the kind of example I really want to be for you.